0: How many of you remember when Facebook added the maybe feature to events? It was as if the floodgates of heaven were opened up for us non-committal people. We could straddle the fence between saying, uh, no, we, I don't want to go, and, and yes, I do want to go. It was as if we could just say, we could make a commitment without ever actually making a commitment. We could feel better about ourselves for clicking maybe. To an event that we didn't want to go, say it was to uh, the our family's Thanksgiving party. We also didn't have to come up with an excuse as to far as far as to why we didn't want to go. But have you noticed that our society today is kind of afraid of the word commitment? It almost seems as if we are. Uh, so to, to making a commitment, we are we are coming outside of ourselves, and we're having to say yes to something more than than who we actually are. As I've I noticed this when I first was going to school, and I noticed a lot of people were going to school just because they had to or was expected of them, but they didn't really want to commit to any degree. And I found with a lot of these people, they were spending more time trying to figure out what they wanted to do, uh, where they wanted to be, and and they didn't really ever commit to any degree that they were in love with. We also find the same thing with, with people today in careers. We see that more people today are changing their careers every four years. We see them becoming more and more just uh, changing their, their career completely because they have the opportunity to. And, 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 and so you see that they are good at a lot of different things but not really excellent in anything. And even we see that people are less committed to becoming homeowners, uh, less people are committed to being, to owning home. Uh, it's it's the lowest recording of homeownership since 1965. People today are not wanting to invest in homes. And sure, there's probably a lot of different reasons, but I, I think probably having the commitment of a home being tied down somewhere, having to uh, replace everything as it breaks, so that's, that's a big deal. We also find that people are less likely to get married today than in any generation before. People are able to date whomever they want, whenever they want, and there's, there's, no, there's no commitment to someone. They, they, to they, be, um, they, they, they want to hold on to individual autonomy. They want to hold on to their individualism. They don't want to become one with another person. So you find more people living together than, than really in any age before. But it's almost as if we're so non-committal that we just can't even make uh, commitments that we make every year, and we call them New Year's resolutions, right? Uh, Thanksgiving just happened, and, and you know we all we've all put on that that Thanksgiving weight, and we're looking forward to Christmas where we're putting on even more weight, and so we all are going to make New Year's resolutions where we're going to lose. 15 to 20 pounds and, you know, we'll probably be really good. We'll probably be better about eating what we're going to be eating. Uh, we'll probably even get a treadmill and and uh, we'll run on it once and then it will become a, our laundry rack. And then it'll eventually happen where we will post it on Craigslist because we aren't using it anymore. But we are, uh, we, we've bought into this lie that, that the fewer commitments we make, the more secure we are. And it, it, it's a lie in that that we think that that if we if we distance ourselves from a commitment, if we if we don't commit ourselves to anything, that we are we're better off. But I can actually say that I'm a better person because of the commitments I've made. i might I have better character as a result of the of working through the difficult commitments I've made as a, as a person. I'm a better. Person, because I've made a commitment to my wife to be faithful to her. I'm a better person because I've committed myself to school and I've I've put myself um, through studying and through a degree. I'm a better person because I've committed myself to being a good father, a present father. I'm a better person because I've committed myself to the church and, and and submitted myself to her authority. Ultimately, I'm a better man because, I've, because of my commitment to Christ. You see, lasting commitments are never easy, nor, they all are, nor are they the, always the most glamorous, but they are inevitably a vehicle which draws us closer to Christ. You see, when we strive to be committed to, to something that's greater than us, when it's hard, when it's difficult, we are generally better people uh, when we get through it, and so maybe you're you're here today and, and maybe you want to be more committed to the Lord, but you don't know what that looks like you you've heard people be you've heard people are more committed to the Lord, but you don't know how that works you don't know what that looks like and so for us, we need to recognize that it requires an attitude of intentionality and a desire to grow in our love and knowledge of God. This is the same attitude that we find in Nehemiah 10. The people of God are coming, and they, 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 they have a, they're being intentional to not only confess their sins, but to, to protect themselves from falling into further sin. And it's through their example of, of them coming and making four hard, radical commitments that we ourselves today in the church, we can apply for ourselves in our, in our own faith so we need to recognize that God's people must be radically committed to obey the Lord. So as we read Nehemiah 9.38, we see something very very important. we, We see that commitment requires action. This is what the word of the Lord says. Because of all this... We make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. As any good student of the Bible, we have to stop and we have to ask the question, what are they saying? Uh, We see because of all this. And so the surrounding context is Nehemiah 8 and Nehemiah 9. In Nehemiah 8 Pastor Kevin walked us through how the people rediscovered the word and they had a passion and a desire for the word. And you see then in Nehemiah 9 that that reading scripture exposed and and uh, uprooted their sin. And so Nehemiah 9 was just all confession, confession to who God is, confession to what he's done, confession to how he loves us. And then also how we are broken and we are sinful. So in light of, of 938, because of all this, um, we don't have to read all of Nehemiah 8 and Nehemiah 9 to understand what's happening, but we can read Nehemiah nine thirty six, which says, Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves, and its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. So we see that the people of God here are confessing their sins. And so because of their sins, they are are taking action. They are making hard, lasting commitments. And so um, we even read in in 2 Chronicles 7.14, which says this, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So the people of God have already turned to God. They've already confessed their sins. But they are turning and they are are making radical commitments in their lives so they don't fall back into their sin. And as we see, they're going to give four specific areas of sin that that have plagued their communities from as far back as Abraham. They're not motivated by fear. They're motivated by love and to obey God, to to follow him. And so this radical idea is that that, that they're making a firm covenant, that they are coming through and they, they are going to obey all of the law. And so... This is right in line with James 4.8, which says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. They are using these commitments to draw themselves closer to the Lord. And, And so what we see with commitment, not only does it require action, but it begins with our leaders. Notice, you see, uh, in verse 38, because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. And they're princes, they're Levites, they're priests. These are all men who are our civic leaders and religious leaders. And then in chapter 10, 1 through 27, we see a list of 84 names that are listed, starting with Nehemiah. These men all signed the document. They all all agreed that that, that something needed to happen for them to not fall back into their sin. What we see ultimately with these 84 men is that what what these leaders are doing, they are paving the way for Israel to succeed. And for us today, we would see that that. Uh, Pastor Kevin, myself, our elders, our, our leadership team, that the culture starts with us. The culture for life and vitality of restoration begins with us. It doesn't end with us, but it begins with us. As we are all here at Restoration, we are all responsible for the growth and the vitality of restoration. We are not alone. But you also see that that the people of God separated themselves. So there you, you see that that separation needs to happen if we, if we are going to have any lasting commitments. Notice it's separation, not isolation. But read with me in verse 28. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding. So we see that, that uh, this is a body of about sixty thousand people, as we saw in Nehemiah seven, that they are all separating themselves from the peoples of the land, and that they are they are doing that um, because they cannot make any lasting commitment if they continue to to live the same way as everyone else. You see, God has always desired for His people to be separate from from the surrounding nations, but He doesn't want us to be isolated from our surrounding nations he He constantly is, has uh, called us to to be set apart to be different to be holy, but that we are to be in the world. Jesus says in the in the Gospel of John to be that we are to be in the world, not of the world. We are not to isolate or insulate ourselves from the outside, but we are to be uh, separate. We are to live differently than anyone else. As our mom used to tell us, you know, bad company corrupts good character. And that's pulled right out of the book of Proverbs. That who we surround ourselves with, who we live like, will ultimately corrupt who we are. Now this is no better illustration than when I was working at Sears a few years ago. I was, I had gone to acts. I'd gotten my calling to be a pastor and I was, I had experienced this mountaintop experience of Christianity and, and I'm working in the warehouse at Sears and I became uh, just like the guys I was working with. I talked like them. I walked like them. I acted like them. And so if you had seen me, you would not have been able to, to pig me as a Christian, but you would have pigged me as someone who's living um, carnally. And so for us, we need to recognize as the people of God, we must take radical action in our commitment to the Lord. So we, you may be asking, what does that look like? Where do we start? What do we do? If commitment truly requires action, um, where where do we start? And I think the best place to start is where the people of Israel started, and it's with the word of God. So we need to commit to the word of God. Read with me in verse 30, or verse 29, sorry. It says this, Join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do and and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. Did you catch that? Nehemiah is saying that these people are, are coming together, they're making this commitment to be people of the word. And he says that they're committed to walk in God's law, that they're commanded to they're committed to observe God's law, they're committed to c- committed to do all the commandments found in the Pentateuch. This is Genesis Exodus Leviticus Numbers and Deuteronomy. If you haven't counted recently, there are 613 commands in those five books. And God is 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 commanding them to obey him and his expectation is that he obeys them. And so the Israelites were understanding a very pivotal aspect is that they are they are Understanding that Scripture is not just for information, but it's for transformation. Notice what it says in James 1:22, but be doers of the word, not hearers only. And so the people of God understood that, that to be committed to the word, they need to obey all of Scripture. They can't just pick and choose portions that they want to that they want to obey. And that they also understood something very important about the Word of God. The Word of God teaches us who God is. They understood that they couldn't know anything about God apart from Scripture. And so you find that that they are committing themselves to be um, people of the Word. They understood that, that God reveals himself through Scripture... And, and they understood something that, that we, we have in the, in the, in the old, in the New Testament. They, they understood Hebrews 412, which says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, which is able to pierce our very soul and marrow. They understood that the word of God is living because it comes directly from the living God. Not only that, but they also understood that when we are reading Scripture, we are coming face to face with the living God. And as Hebrews tells us, that our God is a consuming fire. They understood that that we are to approach Scripture with with reverence and to be people of the Word that we need to read it. We need to ingest it. We need to meditate on it. We need to live by it. So I think no better person exemplifies what it means to be a person of the word than than Jesus. You see, when he was tempted by Satan in Matthew 4, Satan tempted him with his physical needs, with his emotional desires, and with his desire for power. And you see that Satan approaches Christ with with three different distorted scriptures, and each time Christ responded with scripture and, and used that as principles as Jesus taught us, that man does not live by bread alone, but by the very Word of God. So Jesus himself was a man of the Word. He was committed to live by it. He was committed to read it. He was committed to know it. And so for us today, if we, if we want to strive to be people of the Word, we have to read it. We have to meditate it. We have to memorize it. We have to live by Scripture. So how are we doing in being people of the word? What have we done lately to read it, to ingest it, to dwell on it? How often do we use scripture as our final authority in life? As the people of God, we need to be radically committed to the word of God. You see, the root of Israel's sin stems from their abandonment of scripture. But it impacted every other area of their lives. They recognized that they needed to commit themselves to leave their homes. So this is what their second uh, commitment is. is, is they, they, they committed to lead their homes. So read with me in verse 30. It says, We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And so this was this was one of the greatest areas of sin for the people of Israel. This was commanded way back in uh, in Abraham's time with Isaac, and and so the reason why God commanded this was because He did not want them to take daughters of foreign uh, foreign nations, and He didn't want them to take sons from foreign nations because those foreign nations would. The the people would inevitably lead their children away from God. They would be distractions away from God. So God prohibited his children from marrying foreign wives because they would lead the people of Israel to worship idols. And that's what happened time and time again. We can look at the lives of King David and King Solomon, both men who, who we would consider one of some of the greatest kings of Israel. And David took foreign wives and he set a terrible example for his for his son Solomon. And Solomon eventually took seven hundred wives and three hundred concubines. And so, you you see Solomon, and I often wonder how someone like that was able to woo so many women. Uh, but but Solomon was was. Vital to the nation of Israel, and here he is being distracted and pulled away from God. And it's, it's often said that Solomon had half a heart for God because he was so distracted with these idols that were brought in. And of course, we need to recognize that almost all of the marriages at this time were arranged. So we—they didn't fall in love with each other. They didn't—they um, didn't meet at cool places and then decided they wanted to get married. But these these matches were made through their parents so it was started with the parents the parents are the ones who have been giving their kids away and have been taking kids for their for their kids and so this has been this was just a rampant area of, of sin for them and so even paul takes up this banner of 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 us not being unequally yoked in 2 Corinthians 6 that Christians need to marry Christians, otherwise we are going to have very difficult times in our marriage. And so for us, it starts in the home. It starts, what are we teaching our kids? How are we growing them to be godly, to have godly character? And some of you maybe who aren't married are, are sitting here and are wondering, well, what does this mean for me? What does this mean that how I'm supposed to live? Because leading for you is going to look drastically different than it's going to look for my wife and I. But you need to realize that the principles are the same. And so for you, you, there needs to be discipline in, in prayer, discipline in reading scripture, discipline in, in knowing what you want as a, in a spouse. And so you need to be committed to knowing how you're going to lead your home well. And this is why we should lead our home well, because what we do as parents will pave a way for success or failure for our kids. Now, this is just a general truth, because we can have the greatest formula and our kids may be far from it. Or we may have no far we may have no formula or no strategy on how we're going to raise our kids and our kids will end up being great. That happens. This is a general truth. We do need to be leading our homes. One of the things that we need to be doing is we need to be making sure that our homes are distraction-free, that we can focus on the Lord. Recently, as I've been coming home, I've noticed in my own life that I get home and I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I've been working hard and I just Want to check out? I just want to come home to a, a quiet home and, and I don't want to be bothered. But of course, with a two year old and a and a three month old, that's not the case. Um, but they're excited to see me. They're excited to be around me. And and all I want to do is I just want to be on Facebook. I just want to see what's going on on Facebook. And then my wife, of course, will ask me to change our baby's diaper. And I think, ah oh, man, I've been working with a baby all day, and his name is Kevin. But leading my family starts with, uh, starts with changing my daughter's diaper. It starts with me putting away my phone, putting away my distractions, and I can enjoy my children. It starts with, me, with an intentionality to be focused on my family, to develop the character in my family. So how are we doing in being intentional to lead our families? What are we doing to put away our distractions and enjoy each other's company? How are we doing in praying for, with, and over our children? How are we doing in teaching them about who God is? You see, as the people of God, we must be radically committed to leading our homes well. Not only were the Israelites committed to the to, to be people of the word and to lead to their homes, but they also made a radical commitment to rest from the work. This is probably one of the hardest commitments for us today to keep because it forces us to be dependent on God. And let's see what Nehemiah has to, has to say about this. Turn with me in to verse 31. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. so you have to recognize that 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 f- the Israelites were looking at this area as a particular sin where they weren't worshiping God where they weren't resting, and they were they were uh, not giving the land rest, and they were not being obedient to what the law had to say about uh, releasing debt and so these people are are have sinned greatly, and, and so one of the things that the Israelites are wanting to do is they are wanting to not fall back into this area of sin, and so we also need to recognize what is the Sabbath in genesis two two we see that that God had created the world. In six days, by his voice alone. And on the seventh day, he rested. Of course, this raises the question, isn't God all-powerful? Is can't God do whatever he wants? Does God even get tired? And the answer is, of course not. Of course God can, is all-powerful. Of course God doesn't need any rest. Of course God can't get tired. But he did this as a model for us. The word Sabbath literally means to cease. And so God ceased from his work. And he's inviting us to do the same thing. As Hebrews 4.9 says this, um, it says this, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his and so we need to see that the Sabbath is to be an intentional act where we cease from our work and we refocus on what on God's faithfulness and sovereignty. For us we live in the age of technology, right? And so we are finding that that we are striving to be more efficient and to be more efficient and to get things done faster and better and and and, and so we are striving to do things better. But what we're finding is that as we are Uh, taking those things off of our time as we're being more efficient, that we are doing more. That we are doing more with less time. And so for some of us, it may seem like rest is the worst thing we could possibly do. And so for us, we need to see that, that God is calling us and inviting us into his rest. And so... This rest is, is to is to be intentional, to, to worship God, to focus God, to focus on God and what He's done for us. As Greg Groschel said this, he said, if you're tired, a nap will fix the problem. If you're depleted, you need something more. So this idea that, that we are doing more, we're becoming more tired, we're becoming more exhausted. Doesn't matter how much sleep we get, <clears throat> we are increasingly worse off than we were before. We are exhausted. We are tired. And so we need to make a consistent, committed effort in taking rest, in stopping, in worshiping God. For us, we worship on Sunday mornings. And so it doesn't just have to be Sunday mornings where we worship and we rest. Whatever day you can make where you're resting, that's what God is up. that's what God wants of us. And so for us, we see that, that God is calling us to worship Him. And so we worship on Sunday, and so we come together, we, we are resting and we are enjoying one another's company. But we don't just worship on Sunday morning, we worship Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We are to worship. Every day of the week, and so for us, uh, we need to be intentional about worshiping God through rest. Some of you don 't know this about me, but I graduated from Moody Bible Institute in spokane this 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 year, and a year before I graduated, my wife in her infinite wisdom carved out a time after graduation where we would be on vacation. And I thought that was great at the time, um, but the month of May came and and I was expecting to have jobs lined up. I was expecting to to know where I was going and that didn't happen. And so I found that as as we went on vacation, um, we we decided to go to Yellowstone, just uh, my wife, my son and I. And so I didn't want to go on vacation. I didn't want to take that rest. I felt that since I didn't know where I was going, I needed to to send out my application more. I needed to send out resumes more. And and I find that I tend to take rest less when I'm looking at the uncertainty of the future. When I know that I should be doing something, I'm not likely to rest. And so we went on Yellowstone and, and... the Lord forced me into unintentional rest. You see, if, if we are not willing to take a Sabbath, the Lord will make a Sabbath for us. And so for me, I found that it was just a, 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 one of the best vacations I've ever had because it was just our family We focused on the now, and probably in hindsight, probably wasn't the best idea to take a two-year-old and a seven-month-old on vacation going through the hills of Yellowstone. But um, the Lord used that to give us rest and strength for what would be the craziest, most hectic summer that that we've ever had. Because, of course, we graduated. We had a child. We moved. We started another career. And these are all big life events that we... I thought it was a great idea to compress into such a short amount of time. But the Lord was gracious in giving us rest and strength for the months to come. And so, how about you? How are you doing on entering God's rest? What measures are you taking to trust God with your work? With your time commitments? to And, and with things to get done? How are you trusting the Lord in, in providing for you and resting? How are you worshiping the Lord through your rest? As the people of God, we need to be radically committed to obey the Lord by continually entering into his rest. Not only were the Israelites committed to obey the Lord through obedience to the word, through leading their homes and through restful worship, but they were also committed to live through generosity and sacrificial living. Read verse 32 with me. It says, We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. What we see here in verses thirty two through thirty nine is that that Nehemiah is interweaving these these themes of sacrificial living and generous giving and that they're not separate ideas but that they are interwoven, they are two sides to the same coin. We see that that um, as we generously give, we are sacrificially living. When we generously give to accomplish the task of ministry in our community. Notice verses 32 and 34 was just a list of things. This was what the temple ministry, what what the ministry in the temple provided. So we need to see that our commitment to the Lord fosters a desire for the local church. And Warren Wearsby says this, he says, where there is true spiritual revival, it will reveal itself in the way we support God's work, beginning in our local church. So we need to recognize that our generous giving is not just our resources, but it's not just our money, it's not just our resources, It's, it's our very skills, it's everything that we have to offer to the church that we are giving to the church. We also need to recognize that that we are giving God our first fruits not as an act of of duty but of love. Look look at verse 36 with me also to bring to the house of Our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring the Levites the tithes from our ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor, And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the tithes shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers, where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister, and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. So you see, just... Um, first fruits, first, first fruits. God is calling us to give our very best to him. And so we cannot just give uh, 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 just leftovers to God. But we see that that we give to support the ministry. We we give to invest into the kingdom of God. Here at Restoration, we're able to do so much ministry because of, of what has been generously given. Um, this summer you, you were able to bring me on staff and that is, is, is a direct result of, of, of generous giving. Uh, we have the Christmas outreach next week, which is a huge event and it's a hands on, all hands on deck. And and so that is a huge item in our, in our budget where we are able to invest into the community and bring the light of Christ to the community. We have Kids ministries where we are developing kids for for future ministry. We've been doing baptisms, we've been seeing people come to salvation. We've been helping families in our congregation. These are just some of the current ministries that we've been doing as a church. But we also see that uh, the more we give generously, the more future ministries that we will possibly be able to invest into. We're looking at possibly building a or, or getting into a building. And so we are contingent on on generous giving. Uh, we're looking at developing discipleship programs, more people coming to faith. We're developing, looking at developing more life groups, and and the potential for ministry here in downtown Yakima is just growing. And so, as we see what's going on here at Restoration and and and, the, and giving to the needs of the church. We need to recognize that we are to be a people who are radically committed to generously give our resources to the needs of the local church. Not only are we generously giving, but we are to also sacrificially give. Notice in verse 34 what it says, We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God, according to our Father's house, at times appointed year by year, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. This is... What we see is is, is they are obligating to, to designate families to go and get wood for all of the sacrifices that have to happen. Unfortunately, there's this truth with ministry that that as we um, come together, the burden of ministry will usually fall on one or two families' shoulders. And I can imagine that this was the same thing here, where you have one family faithfully getting wood, but they're tired. They're burnt out they're frustrated and they're angry they're bitter because they are doing all this hard work and no one is 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 helping them so you see that twenty percent of the people of God are doing eighty percent of the work of ministry and and that is that is that's bad we need to be committed to living sacrificially and generously so we also need to we also need to to be understanding that that we need to come alongside each other and bear the burden of ministry. So how are we doing in serving restoration? How are we doing in coming alongside and carrying each other's burdens? How are we doing in serving alongside each other and encouraging one another? As a people of God, we need to be radically committed to both sacrificial living and generous giving. So we see that, that the Israelites weren't content to fall back into their sins. So they made radical commitments to obey the Lord. They radically committed to obey the, 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 the law of God, all 613 commands of, of God. They radically committed themselves to lead their homes well. They radically committed themselves to honor the Sabbath, to worship the Lord on the Sabbath. And they also radically committed themselves to take care of the temple, to take care of the ministry that needs to happen. So where do we go from here after seeing their example? We see that the the people of God need to be radically committed to obey the Lord. We see a need for us to come together and commit ourselves to obey the Lord together. So we cannot grow in our faith if we are unwilling to commit ourselves to God and to each other. And we need to hold each other accountable to the standard God has given us in his word. As some of you may have wondered, there's been this, <clears throat> this poster board sitting off to the side here this entire time. And this on this document are, um, are five commitments and they're pulled straight out of Nehemiah 10. The first is that we promise to be committed to scripture, reading it, ingesting it, and meditating on it day and night. The second is we promise to be committed spiritual leaders in our home by not allowing any distraction to pull us away from our love for God. The third commitment is we promise to be committed to worship the Lord through intentional rest. The fourth is we promise to be committed to Restoration Church, supporting her through prayer, sacrificial living, and generosity. Now you see, these four commitments, while they're great, they're setting us up for failure. And so we need something greater, something better than this, than these commitments. We need to commit to the grace of God and this is the fifth commitment we promise to commit ourselves to the grace of God by recognizing our own failures and resting in Christ's completed work as we look at Nehemiah 10 we see that that the people of God are missing something crucial in in just following God and it's Christ we see that that God does not delight in more and more sacrifices. But God delights in hearts humbly and obediently submitted to Him. We see that, that the Israelites had the right motivation and the right intentions, but they missed one and crucial aspect, and that's the grace of Christ. Christ didn't die for us to follow more rules. Christ didn't die for us to... Um, <clears throat> To fall into legalism. But Christ died to set us free from the law. Because the law, uh, while it's good, while it's perfect, is unattainable. These 613 laws are impossible for us to keep. We have even a harder time keeping two laws. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So we are not interested in, in creating more rules for ourselves. But we see that with this fifth commitment that we need something more. We need to daily depend on the grace of Christ. Because either two things will happen. Either that you will sign this document or you won't. Because you feel that these four commitments, these five commitments are so heavy that you cannot possibly keep them. And so you feel that by putting your name to to this commitment that you are... Uh, Worse off than before. You feel that if you fail that God despises you because you can't keep his standards. Or you're the other type of person who signs this document and you taste success and you taste uh, accomplishments from this, but you fail in that you are now resting on your pride and not on the grace of Christ. You see, for us, We need to constantly recognize that we are able to be successful because of Christ's record and not our own. Through Christ, we can truly be people of the word. We can know what the word is. We can know what the word says. We can live by it because of Christ, what Christ has accomplished for us. Through Christ, we can lead our homes well. We know who we are are training and and stewarding our children for. Through Christ, we can actually enter into God's rest. As as Jesus says in Matthew 28, come to me all who are weary and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. You see, Christ is the Sabbath. Christ is our Sabbath. And, And for us to truly rest In God, we are to be resting in Christ, resting in the completed work of Christ. While we are not perfect, and while we are not completed works, we can look to Christ who has completed all the work. But ultimately, we see that through Christ, we can truly live generously and sacrificially. As John says in 1 John, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for, the, for our brothers. So it's inevitable that we will fail in all four of these areas. In being people of the word. In leading our homes. In resting and worshiping. And in, in living generously and sacrificially. We are going to fail in all four of those. So we must be committed to the grace of Christ. In these final moments, just as we are, are looking to see, to to, um, to to solidify our commitments, all I'm asking you to do is spend time in prayer, bring your heart before the Lord, and 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 know where you stand. When you're ready, I'm I'm asking you to come uh, and and to sign your name to this to this poster board um, as as this. We are not wanting us to live by more rules, but we are wanting us to understand and live by grace as we are committing ourselves to Christ. I'll be the first to sign my name because I want, I want to be more committed to the Lord. And So this is a vow we are making each other to live differently in light of living in a broken and weary world. The people of God must be radically committed to obeying the Lord.